Welcome to the TFT Podcast. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, I'm Matt. I want to uh, build a boat out of the ocean. <laughs> I want to fly a fountain, and I want to jump, 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 jump a mountain. <laughs> we are doing uh, the album Marky Moon from 1977 by the band Television. Uh, so if you have not heard it, you can pause this podcast right now and get on Spotify or buy it uh, from the affiliate link that you'll find in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Television's 1977 debut LP, uh, Marquee Moon. And uh, while you listen to it, you can put this podcast on pause and we'll, uh, we'll be back after this message from our sponsor. Can you see no evil? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Well, try a torn curtain. It just lets just enough evil in that you can see some of the evil. Thanks, torn curtain. Torn curtain. Not responsible for any injuries and or fire damage. Torn curtain. <laughs> We're back. This is hard. This you know, this was a harder one to grab, right? Because in most of our albums uh, that we've been discussing since we kind of started the the fake ad convention, there's narrative. <laughs> there is. There are. There are objects that are not purely metaphorical, <laughs> um, and I feel like lyrically, this was. Um, I mean, there's a lot that's going on here lyrically, um, and yet there. It's there's a less easy thing to to grab onto as as the joke as a product right and i think that that difficulty of um of of productizing um marky moon i think is actually like an interesting thing that i like realized as i was listening to this and this is an album um that i've um known for a while i got into it shortly after uh after graduating from college so uh it's an album that's kind of been in my library for like 10 years or so um and so you liked it you liked it uh when it was cool again for the first time <laughs> before, yes that's right uh, before yeah, it was yeah, cool yeah. again for the second time yeah yeah uh yeah uh i i liked it after before after it was cool <laughs> um, and so it's uh yeah well and, and so yeah actually at that time i remember uh this is uh it, this came actually during one of the um a period in my life uh, where i was i was single and as i was getting into this band and it was a band that i got into in part because other bands of that time um of 2004 um bands like interpol um bands like uh, of a general kind of uh, bands like LCD Sound System um, and other bands that were kind of lumped as dance punk or post punk revival um, were uh, kind of New York oriented bands uh, were that you would always see citations to television. So I'm like, I'm going to check out uh, television uh, among other bands of the, actually this era that we're uh, that we're in now, this kind of late 70s post-punk era. Um, and so at that time, uh, I was getting to this album and I was, I actually went to New York uh, and met with, met up with and hang out, hung out with uh, with overthinker Pete Fenzel and uh, we went to a bar uh, on the Lower East Side of, uh, of Manhattan, uh, actually not far 
really from where uh, television and the Ramones and Blondie were playing during their heyday. Um, and I, um, while we were at this bar, uh, uh, I started talking to a, a young woman, uh, a young woman who had hair dyed green, many other kind of outward signifiers of punk music. Uh, and so trying to impress this, uh, this young woman, uh, I said, you know, I've been, uh, I've been really into television lately. And she says, I've been watching a lot of TV too. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, wow, that, you know, I, I really thought I, I, and, and that, and then we, we, we continued to converse, but I, I really thought that this, you know, secret knowledge of television would, um, would be very, very impressive. Uh, you know, a 22 year old me thought that, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and it wasn't because this is an album and it's, it's, that is, I think a bit elusive. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, an album that's cited as being very influential, uh, and the band is cited as being an important band of this era. Um, but it doesn't, you know, grab you in the in the ways that many of the other uh, albums that we've talked to uh, talked about grab you. What, either in the way of the Sex Pistols uh, that we talked about last week, or of the, of the Ramones. Um, and I think that um, you know, and it was even at that time I listened to it for that summer, got interested in other things, and then. And it's only become in a kind of um, a position of albums that I return to relatively frequently, only really as I've um, kind of, you know, in the last few years of like crossing the threshold of 30, uh, I've uh, come back to it more and more and kind of seen it uh, elsewhere, or not seen it elsewhere, but um, heard it elsewhere, uh, engaged with it elsewhere, and kind of always been happy to hear it. Uh, happy when a band uh, covers See No Evil um, as, uh, as as a band Wild F- Indie, short-lived indie uh, rock band uh, Wild Flag covered it. Uh, this is Carrie uh, Brownstein's uh, of Portlandia and Slater Kidney's band uh, between those two projects. Uh, when And they covered See No Evil um, a few years ago when I saw them um, in wasn't like Austin. I mean I always thought of Wild Flag as like a uh, uh, all stars of you know female post punk right yeah like, that's a good that's the that's a better way to describe it um, I uh, yeah exactly because rather it's, than being um, th- something that was going to be continuous like it's I thought that like maybe in another twenty years they'll cut another record or something like that I mean that would know? I mean it's I think it was an interesting question I think I think you know there's a lot of bands that start like that that become full fledged projects huh. right the um the new pornographers i think being the best example of being kind of all stars of early uh early 2000s canadian uh indie pop uh and they have you know like a what fifth or sixth album um coming out uh this fall um and interestingly called brill bruisers uh yeah. referencing the brill building so expect that one um uh to at least get some tweets if not a full episode uh <laughs> come the fall uh and and but anyhow yeah wild flag is a super group um and, and it was fronted um by two uh, two lead guitarists and uh, and and two lead singers in um, uh, in Carrie Brownstein and uh, Mary Timoney, uh, formerly of um, '90s uh, alt rock uh, group uh, Helium, that were kind of in the alt indie uh, scene. Um, yeah, and there uh, and and so kind of it was very awesome to see them cover uh, see, I, and I feel like when I saw them it was about two years ago maybe a little before and I feel like them around the time when I saw them cover 
see no evil and felt myself get really excited about that cover uh, was I think the 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 start of the a second era in um, engaging with this television uh, record um, and so yeah and and uh, so the thing I mean, that occurs to me as being as really interesting uh, I mean of the number of interesting directions to go is that like it's hard to productize right in our sort of fun game of of making up fake ads right like it's hard to productize a band's record when the band's name is television <laughs> for god's sake right it's the name of uh it's the name of a product and i know you're talking about the the content of the album rather than than necessarily just the name yeah. the name of the band but i had i mean this was my first exposure to this record listening to it to prepare for for this and i had a uh an experience that harmonizes with what you with kind of what you describe um i I like it. I admired this record as I was listening to it a couple times to prepare for this. Uh, I mean, a bunch of times actually, more than more than usual, to be honest, because I felt like I needed more. I always felt like I was on the verge of something, or there was something I was missing, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. And when that and, fits with that idea of elusiveness, right? right? Exactly, <laughs> and like that. I I ended up. Um, uh, feeling like I admired it more than I really was hooked by it, which is like, which is so interesting because like one of the things that distinguishes this from, from some of the contemporary punk and like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like it, we call this post punk, but never mind the bollocks came out after this record did, right? Like, the Ramones had already released uh, Ramones, and I think Rocket to Rocket Russia was 77, right? But, like, uh, the, the punk was still very much a thing while this, you know, whatever we call it, post-punk or, you know, post-rock, I, I don't know, f- uh, grandfather... Yeah, you're right, though. That no, never mind the bollocks came out um, about... Uh, about eight months after this, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think in terms of production um, and recording, they were probably around um, a- around contemporaries um, yeah. because the album was yeah. So they were they were recorded around the same time. Sure. Um, but yeah, what well, I think this is the thing that we talked about. I think near the end of the Ramones episode of you know, and 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 a little bit in the Sex Pistols episode as well of and it's interesting, and there's a few different elements of this, but one element is that some of these dynamics of rebellion and authority um, and legitimacy in punk sow seeds for a rebellion against the rebellion. And so, and, and I think that what's interesting is that what's happening socially and artistically um, and kind of in the micropolitics of like rock scenes and kind of the macro politics of kind of international um, like rock scenes and music is moving faster than the record release schedule. Right. And so that there is, um, yeah, so it's very interesting, right. Is that there is post punk that's happening pre punk. Right. Uh, And, and that, and I think that, it's really – I think this – with television is really interesting because there was an earlier iteration of the band. Um, like the band – and, and I, I don't know a lot of the kind of off – you know, unofficial recording, uh, bootleg, uh, demo history of the band as well. But this was a band that was around for about 
about three or four years when the uh, album was released, and um, in and in their earlier iterations, you know, they were instrumental um, in uh, in having CBGBs start to have like uh, punk shows. Um, and the original bassist of the band, uh, Richard Hell, um, is a um, pike punk icon. I mean, he, uh, in the, the some I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but a lot of the look. I think wait, I may, may have mentioned that a lot of the look of um, of, of punk that we associate with punk in terms of the hair uh, and the torn clothing and some of the and safety pins and things like that um, that w- is associated a lot with the Sex Pistols um, is uh, argued and there there is some anecdotal evidence at the very least that um, Malcolm McLaren, McLaren and Vivian Westwood actually borrowed uh, Richard Hell's visual style uh, Richard Hell then of television and later of um, the Heartbreakers and his own band uh, the Voidoids um, and so that there but that you know by the time um, Marky Moon is being recorded and produced uh, Hell is out of the band and I feel like that's the you know in getting rid of Richard Hell and getting someone uh, and and uh, and and getting a, a I think more reliable you know, choosing proficiency uh, over attitude and visual style is one of the movements towards uh you know, post punk, like we're like they're literally like like you know it, it's you become television became post punk by being post Richard Hell, uh-huh. um, and and I think that that uh, is an interesting uh, transformation, and and uh, but I don't know necessarily how close to kind of some of the other tropes and um, and kind of uh, genre signifiers of punk early like pre like with uh, television was with. Um, with, yeah, with in, Richard Hell. in the live performances or in some of the Brian Eno produced demos that are, right. I think, that got released with the re-release as extra tracks or that are floating out on the interwebs somewhere. I mean, something that you said was was very important, and it rhymed with with uh, that I think is very important because uh, because I also thought the same thing, and because I also thought it, I think it's very important. Um, the uh, as I was listening to as as I was listening to this record, I I was thinking about oh, and reading a lot about it, reading about about uh, the CBGB and uh, Patty Smith and Blondie mm-hmm. and like uh, what was going on, what was going on at the time, and like who was who was listening. Um, you sort of talked about the the uh, the dynamics of the local scene and the dynamics of the national scene moving more quickly than the record release schedule. And right. it's, it's something that you hear these days, right? Like, oh, the on on these YouTubes and these SoundClouds and these right these kids like listening to one another and having this uh, um, you know extraordinarily uh, specific kind of uh, genre affiliations and you know um, kind of influence and uh, and the the conversation moving very very quickly uh, in this technologically enabled way it's interesting to think that um, what's really happened maybe is that the technology has ca- caught up to the speed uh, mm. at which the you know at which the scene was always moving right because if yeah. you are going every night to a club and hearing three or four bands who are all listening to each other and who are all right interested and you're really sort of involved in a scene rather than being something like i mean out here in LA it's all i mean it's all bullshit no one cares about the other bands on the bill everyone is just trying to get their own their own 
deal, and and I'm sure I'm wrong in in certain awesome pockets uh, because it's a very very big city. But like, uh, what what I see is not not really a scene. It's just a uh, you know, it's just like um, serial masturbation. But the uh, the the importance of a scene to this record, right, was something yeah. that I thought about uh, a lot while while I was listening to it, right? Like, one of the things that, that one of the reasons we talked about, uh, oh, as we sort of were first reviewing uh, records, almost, actually, it's almost been a year, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, the, uh, we talked about, like, the, the technique of going, finding the standard work of scholarship, right? Finding the reference work, the reference biography of, a, of an intellectual figure, or the uh, kind of the reference history of a movement or of a you know particular aspect of something like find find the reference work. Um, one of the reasons that you do that is because you want to find out what individual actors within the system um, what or who they're in dialogue with, right? right? And right. and you don't necessarily know that when you look at the artifact by itself. And and I had the sense one of the reasons I I think uh, and I'm trying to account for the quality of the record. One of the reasons I think it may have it is because it's in dialogue with um, reference that are lost to us, right? That aren't, mm. that aren't available to us. But like if, you know, if certain parts in the, the recording, if certain parts in the songwriting, if certain parts in the use of guitars or, you know, or whatever, name, name an aspect of this record, right, are, are in dialogue with other recordings that we don't have or at least don't have in front of us, right? Or, or other uh, live performances or other bands that don't exist yeah. anymore and never got the traction, but were big in the and influential in the uh, in the scene at the time, right? Like it would it would have the outward. It's like hearing one side of a telephone conversation, sure. right? It has a yeah. it has a great deal of authenticity, and or uh, I don't mean authenticity, I mean integrity, right? In terms of being a thing that is that is sort of complete, that is integrated, but um, but uh, is is sort of obscure, right? Yeah, because you no. can't, yeah. I was going to say, like, the metaphor that I thought of is having, you know, a piece of technology or an invention or a drug or something like that uh, that's been created through a process of long uh, research and development. And then uh, all of the R&D files are just burned after the product is complete. And then here's this invention, right? And so that – and that – so uh, that there is this case in which this scene and the existence of this scene on the Lower East Side of of New York um, in that period in the early seventies was a a lab, right? That there was an R and D lab, and then you only right you are only getting the the artifacts of it, and it, it varies a little bit. And you know, so the bands that are. Um, you know, like the Ramones who are putting out an album or a year, a year or sometimes multiple albums in a year, you see it more and um, and you kind of understand that that what you see is what you get. Um, but that television, because they, um, you know, that they there was a pretty long um, period between them um, starting as a band and developing and kind of being part of this scene and then producing this first uh, document. You feel that some of the the R and D is lost, uh, and 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 you know there have been attempts through oral history and through recovering bootlegs to to get some of those pieces, um, but it's more um, it's more patchy than you than you would think. Um, I mean, you mentioned something else that was elusive. 
about it in terms of the productizing of being, you know, and, and you mentioned the name of the band um, being uh, part of that as well. What did you? What I wanted? You, I was curious to hear you elaborate on that a little more uh, and about television and the meaning of television, how that relates to um, how one approaches this record and some and again some of this elusive quality that we're trying to articulate yeah i mean like so literally like i i sort of don't know so i'm just gonna riff until i stumble yeah yeah yeah. literally television is like remote vision it's like seeing Mm -hmm. over a distance or the transmission the transmission of seeing so there's it's it's Mm -hmm. um like if if you accept a dichotomy of art as as expressive on one side and communicative uh on one side the the uh, former being kind of in, inward directed and and aimed at creating an accurate uh, an accurate representation of an internal state or intention, uh, and the other as being uh, uh, audience directed and and um, aiming at you know aiming at engendering a certain experience in in the audience or getting something across right. Um, this kind of situates itself on the latter side. Uh, of that, whereas maybe some of the because it's it's the idea is seeing at a distance or the transmission yeah. of vision over right over a distance, whereas uh, maybe the Ramones are more on the expressive side, um, right? Like of uh, d- uh, of that dichotomy, if you accept that you know if you accept that dichotomy just heuristically, right? And and um, or just for the point of, uh, you know, for the point, uh, for the purpose of heuristics and and Sex Pistols also like seem to be uh, seem to be maybe a little more on the expressive side in that they are kind of documenting a condition uh, rather than um, uh, right and and if you don't like it, fuck you, you know, right. rather th- rather than kind of getting something necess- getting something across to you, right. Um, and that that so something something about that and and then this it sort of it references mass uh it references sort of mass communication right mm-hmm. like what television is not called right other things it could be called is uh super exclusive show at a small club <laughs> you know right? right like uh others it could be called like uh limited edition print Right, 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 right. Rather than television, Um, but that I mean, like even the idea of the the cover photo taking the Maplethorpe photograph of the the band, um, Maplethorpe chosen, I think, because of his his uh, cover of horses, Um, right, and then like kind of friendship with uh, with Patty Smith, right, right? and then and then color xeroxing it uh, to you know to kind of mechanically reproduce it. in a technological mass way, right? Rather than being a, uh, uh, rather than being a, you know, a, a photograph by a noted art photographer, right? Right, uh, right. It's a copy of that. Um, and, and so then you actually then actually see the connections to Velvet Underground and, and to the Andy Warhol piece of Velvet Underground yeah. as well. Um, and I think there are other connections that we'll talk to when we talk more about the music. But I think that it's interesting. And I guess that's another way in which, like, the, you actually the band and the kind of some of the conceptual idea of the band links to pop art um and i think because another interesting thing about television is that 
it's it's such a generic term, right? And that and I mean, it kind of gets back to my anecdote of the confusion and the kind of who who's on first uh, moment of like wait t- like who's the band that's playing television? No, I'm not asking what's on the TV. I'm asking you know like yeah. and so that that kind of there's a there's a. Um, a, a kind of distance and seeing from a distance, even on what are you talking about, and that, and I, I think even, um, and so if they were around uh, today, they'd have two V's in their name uh, or a U, <laughs> uh, so that it was easier to Google, uh, right? Like churches or always uh, spelled with two V's, uh, um, and so and uh, and yet you know here they've made themselves even in a pre-Google. Um, in a pre-Google era, they made themselves ungoogleable, um, prophetically, right? Prophetically ungoogleable. Yeah. Um, which I think is really, really interesting. And I think that that itself, and, and you know, and, and when you look at that cover, in addition to the the photo, it's this very, a very, you know, you know, plain. Um, you know, minimal uh, sans serif font as well, um, and that you know it, it almost feels like a label of a generic. Um, yeah, and it's, yet- it's the typeface. Tree on the typeface Helvetica. Uh, that uh, uh, that you can sort of look at, but one of the things that 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 particular font that Helvetica does is is strip personality out of out of something, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was Helvetica. I'm less of a font nerd, but I, I do. I'm, I'm at the very least intuitively drawn to Helvetica, <laughs> um, but I, I sometimes can't necessarily um, distinguish it from other neighbor fonts, um, but. Yeah, I think that, and so I think that this idea of kind of stripping, I mean, the, I, I think that that effect of the name, I think also, I think actually uh, uh, is in dialogue and is consistent with the other interpretation of television of seeing at a distance. That there's this, there's kinds of elements of distanciation that are going on here, and it's so it's not, it's there's there's a kind of alienation but it's it's uh and 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 a kind of confounding but not necessarily in the way that we always talk of it it's that there's a kind of um creating distance so as to see right um and and i think that you see this even just in the song titles and in the lyrics of there's a lot that is focused on various elements of the senses and of, of either seeing or not seeing or being illuminated um, about um, kind of topography, about, about curtains, you know, torn. If you just kind of go through, there's friction, there's elevation, right? Which kind of physical force, physical motion. Um, there's light of guiding light uh, and marquee moon. Um, and uh, you have, um, and, and then even in uh, Venus, in Venus, you're, you know, the, the kind of central uh, figure, of that of the chorus of that is I fell into the arms of Venus de Milo. Right? There's a movement downward. So there's these these interesting um, a lot going on with with sensory perception and distance and movement uh, and how and as they interact. Right. That there's a kind of um, there 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 are interesting elements of um, 
kind of physics and uh, th- there's a physics to this album uh, that I think are interesting and, and again I think there's some clues to that in just how we're parsing um, the name uh, television yeah sure I mean like the idea that like Tom Verlaine right like changes his last name to uh, to uh, in honor of Paul Verlaine the, the symbolist poet right who was uh, a contemporary of or like associated with the same same movement as Baudelaire and Rambeau, uh, right, and and uh, you know this sort of evocative, um, like a, a, an evocative use of language rather than a a strictly meaningful use of language, right? And like even I mean I, I sort of don't know sometimes where to hook into these uh, where to hook into these. Um, Lyrics, right? Like on See No Evil, like what I want, I want now, and it's a lot, it's a whole lot more than anyhow. I want to fly, fly a fountain. Uh, I want to jump, 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 jump a mountain, right? Like, what, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, good. You're the one who studies poetry, so. Uh... <laughs> Um, uh, well, that, yeah, well, like I mean, and this this sort of like even in the in the hook or in the uh, it's not really hooky. I mean, I don't know. The hooks fail to hook to to a certain extent, right? Like uh, though you sort of see them, you see them working and understand them working. Uh, I don't feel hooked by the hooks a lot of the time. But but in the 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 ti- is, when you sing the title of the song, I see, I see no, I see no evil. Right? right, like this right. is uh, you know building up the line as though in those kind of successive xeroxes that the Maplethorpe photograph uh, went to uh, went through. Right, like I and the kind of the revel the revelation of meaning as sort of successive words in the phrase are unveiled. Yeah, right, yeah. like I yeah, see. And- oh, I, I I see. Okay, great. I see. Positive. I see. No. Uh oh. <laughs> you know negation. <laughs> Right there's a problem. I see no evil. Right, like, um, and uh, and the fact that like I see no pause and then screeched out evil. You know, right. makes evil so much more compelling than the claim not to see evil. Uh, right. That uh, you know that it undercuts the it undercuts the the literal meaning of the line. Well, right uh, to a certain extent. Right, right. Um, and I mean that that construction is also used in uh, Marquis Moon uh, as well. Of well, of I was listening, listening to the rain. I was hearing, hearing something else. Um, and I think that that's kind of. I mean, there's uh, we, we can kind of circle back to that one a little later. Um, but yeah, I think that. Um, I think that that's right in terms of the undermining effect uh, in See No Evil, right? Because also the other parts of the um, course are saying, I understand all destructive urges. Um, and I, I feel like, um, you know, that, right, evil... I mean, I guess there's also, like, like, like just because you see no... And in fact, like, he is evil... And then that, like, the, I don't see any evil. Like, look to your left and look to your right. If you don't see any evil, you're the evil. <laughs> um, in a way, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that there's this interesting um, sense of, especially in the um, kind of outro segment uh, of, like, of of running wild um, and pulling down the future, uh, and and. I, I kind of then in that in the call and response with I see no evil I read see no evil of like like I see no evil in that um, 
and and or maybe there's other ways to parse it. Um, but I think that earlier on there's kind of cri- criticisms of it, that evil is located in the discourse of others, right? That um, you know, sort of says, you know, I get your point. You're so sharp. Uh, getting good reactions with your evil talk. Huh. Um, and so, um, you know, like you say I'm evil, you know, but that's not me. <laughs> or, uh, or evil, or that's not evil, right? There's even like, it's probably like as we're trying to kind of articulate this, that, that it's even like, it's in a tradition of the, of the Brian Wilson's rhetorical moves and that's not me, but I think it's even a little more, um, there, there's several more layers, right? Um, in terms of the the Rube Goldberg machine of evil um, that is going on here, in terms of uh, the self, uh, uh, you know, the speaker society, and then uh, uh, like the actions of of the speaker in society, and then the the kind of moral worth or moral judgment of those uh-huh. um does that i mean I, i'm trying to that's my that's my cut I, i'm again kind of just hacking away at it until yep. uh till until something uh comes of it we're in the i mean we're in the we're in the underbrush here we're in the you know what i mean we're in the like the deep jungle of the lower the lower east side i i mean can we talk about the lower east side just a little bit before i before we continue our kind of <laughs> can our, we take a breath and <laughs> can, yeah. we, can we can we can we talk about something that that we at least purport to understand right, exactly <laughs> rather than b- before diving into another uh a close another reading of, of another song no, like, songs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um I, I you know the the point you made about kind of burning down the r&d lab is is made ever more poignant by the like the luxury high rises going up in yeah. in alphabet city right and, or the and, fact that the cbgb's is um is now a john varvedos store oh, um and the only thing with the the bgb name uh on that block is dbgb the uh the the burger and sausage place uh by restaurateur uh acclaimed restaurateur daniel balud which yeah. is great is a great place uh <laughs> and if listen if you if you you know if i had this sophie's choice cbgb and dbgb it's not it's not even a it's not a choice <laughs> because one had horrible disgusting bathrooms and the other had a burger with pulled pork on top of it. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> thank you, thank you, DBGB, uh, or thank you, CBGB. Uh, you've done your service, service, and we will send you off with a Viking funeral. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, I don't know. That's interesting, right? Would we want a uh, a like? Um you know, a uh, kind of dirty but interesting R and D lab for for new music, right? Or do you want like you know beautiful bathrooms and and uh, and pork belly on top of everything, and an interesting take on on Brussels sprouts and bacon, right? Like, I think the thing is, is this is that like one assumes that. I think that the, in the kind of laboratory um, that this was, that it's you know the the for whatever reason you know this scene is not they're they are roving rather than stationary bandits right and and so it's not the case that 
um, you know, when the Bowery gentrified, that all of the um, all of all of the innovative um, musical uh, you know the, uh, the musical acts uh, were were displaced. Uh, there was no great kind of post punk diaspora um it had already happened right and that the the lab had already moved um and you know there's a time where um in the 90s um you know the 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 lab of the kind of culturally relevant lab just shifted west um and that you know that and when we get to the 90s we'll talk um you know a lot about uh about seattle among other places i i imagine uh in terms of place-based focus um but even then when um new york starts uh, the new york music scene starts to rise in prominence again um in the late 90s early 2000s uh it's not primarily uh, manhattan anymore it's it's brooklyn um and so uh and, and so the fact is like uh, the only time i was ever at uh cbgb um i actually went with a uh, another new york new york based overthinker mark lee um and uh and we we went in fact because uh the show that we were going to see uh in the neighborhood at um the mercury lounge uh which is another a, a smallish which was more although in the same neighborhood uh, more in the circuit of of early 2000s indie rock, uh, and we were going to see a band called the Constantines uh, that were described as Fugazi meets Bruce Springsteen. Um, so it was Mark and I meeting in the middle of our interests <laughs> at the time. Um, <laughs> it was a compromise, uh-huh. um, like any good relationship that requires compromises. Uh, and it was, the, the show was sold out, and so we're like, "Hey, uh, you know, we're here. We should go to CBGB and." And I think one thing that um, struck me of going to CBG and it's just like um, a night of kind of of local uh, bands is that it was it was un- the bands that were playing were unremarkable and it was very palpable palpably not the center of what was happening uh, and and in fact there, what you know the bands I saw were punk bands in some way or another and it actually felt that you know the 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 weight of the history and the 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 weight of the discoveries uh, there, the kind of artistic discoveries, the cultural discoveries, experimentation, um, actually um, was in fact too stifling for it to continue to be a laboratory. Um, and so I think, and and I don't know if that is. I mean, it'd be interesting to think about the lifespan of of either within cities or kind of um, between cities. What you know? What are the models? What is the lifespan of a vitality of a given physical place, of a given club, of a given set of haunts? Um, and how thinking of how focus and energy uh, shifts at micro levels between clubs, between scenes, uh, or and either how scenes change or scenes migrate. Um, because I think that by the time the Bowery was gentrifying, um, it had migrated. And so, I, you know, I'm, so, I'm, I'm reminded, I'm put in mind of the, the farewell post on hipster runoff from, uh, 7th of November, 2013, um, that it called, is the scene still alive? <laughs> right? Do you, do you remember yeah. that? And, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. this uh, it's this sort of free verse poem that begins. I went to the old scene spot and saw the same scene face as a few years older, still wearing stupid clothes, still looking proud. Right? right? And like this is so you know this is sort of interesting because this kind of marks the end of of the end of hipstery, which is a phrase right. that, that title we've used before. But but uh, sort of 
<laughs> oh man, I, I kind of miss hipster runoff though. Um, but uh, right, that like that of that sort of Brooklyn thing, and I mean, it's no secret that like aside from you know uh, operations of of power, with, you know, when this podcast began, it was a Gossip Girl podcast by way of political science, and we talked we talked about power uh, operation, uh, you know, um, discourses of authenticity, um, and this podcast has become a, you know organized around the research question of uh, is this shit for real um right. and the uh and and also i would i would add to that sort of operations of uh operations of of privilege and of sort of discursive discursive power right. um that like urbanism is a uh is a huge lab for for this sort of thing and like gentrification is something that that we sort of talk about tangentially a lot it seems a to lot. me right and that this is this is it is actually related it is actually of a piece with with our other our other concerns right like because well, the, I mean, one could argue it may actually uh, it, uh, time may reveal that it is actually the primary concern <laughs> right yeah and that like that this is that this is a very interesting question that you raise as to like what is the timeline uh, what is the the projected lifespan yep. of a scene uh, and of the kind of the the location, the geographic component uh, of a scene, right? Of right. of the kind of the the thereness of a uh, of a place, um, and that like you know, th- yeah, I mean Seattle, Brooklyn, you know, um, and that like that the the it's it's sort of. I sort of narrativize it as being sad, uh, the sort of loss of the, the you know, fecund, you know, fertile um, uh, aspects of the kind of seedy, uh, you know, uh, places like the Lower East Side. But, like, I guess at the time that, that you know, punk was happening, right? Like, that, that all the people were talking about in the late 70s were, were hanging out in this area. It was substantially gentrified from, from its earlier history as, like, an yeah. ethnic ghetto. Right. Right? Right. That, like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, the Lower East Side, that's where all the Jews live anymore, you know? Uh, and right. so, at like, this point, like, you know, when the five points come together, they no longer formed a fist, right? right? Like, <laughs> you know, you know, you don't have, you, like, the, the, there are, that is not where the gangs of New York were, uh, or at least those gangs, those mustachioed cleaver wielding gangs of right. New York, <laughs> um, right? We're in warriors territory. Although actually Daniel Day Lewis's character in gangs of New York wouldn't have been totally out of place in the warriors, interestingly enough. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, so, I you know I don't know I don't I don't necessarily have a a, a way to wrap up this well, set of I, observations, but it's interesting, right? I'd like yeah, and I actually I mean rather than wrapping up, um, we can I, I'd like to pivot back to the music, but maybe even like good, we've had enough of a breath. Um, well, and and I bet maybe another entry point is you know given that some of the. Um, uh, uh, 
you know, something that we have not talked about, given that the lyrics are are difficult and kind of the lyrical close reading is difficult, it doesn't mean we're not going to do it. But I think something that we've not talked about at all on this record um, is the music itself. Um, and I think that, and that's something that gets written about a lot, um, just as much, if not more, than than lyrics. And so the the um, as I was listening to this album, and uh, especially listening to the um, the latter half of the album, uh, I came up with a question that I'd like to uh, pose to you, Matt. Um, so, this television with their ten minute long songs and their guitar solos, are they a jam band? <laughs> I was gonna ask the same. <laughs> are you serious? Samesies? Samesies? Yes. <laughs> oh, I got you. I I, I, I drew first. <laughs> That's, oh, I'm yeah. so pleased. You were, believe, yeah, no, no, no. I can't believe all week we were sitting along, ready, ready to fuck each other over with this question, with the same question. <laughs> well, then you go first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because you whipped it out. You whipped it out first. So there. So, uh, so there you go. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Great, good answer. <laughs> no, no, no. It's. Uh, uh, my my point is, it's one thing to to uh, put on the middle of the record a positive jam. It's it, right. It's another. It's one thing to 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 start a jam, right? It's a, it's another thing to see it all through, right? And like um, the 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 even the the jam aspects of like Marky Moon, which is the like ten and a half minute long song, though like the whole whole side B of this record. Uh, which is, I think, tracks five through eight, right? Like, right. is um, uh, they are slightly airier, right? And you talked about like the the Sex Pistols opening up space, like creating space in the music. Who does television, yeah. or I should say, do television with the the collective plural, right? Like, uh, do television open up uh, a lot of space in the um, uh, in the guitar solos and and things like this, right? Like, yeah. uh, so like I'm I'm actually I'm I'm sur- for if it's a jam band, they are they are the tightest jams uh, that you can imagine, right? It's kind of like it's it's almost not like okay, we're just gonna kind of roll with this and see and see where it goes. It seems like the sort of the constraints are are established from the beginning, and though though even though it um. Uh, uh, even though they don't, they don't sort of throw structure out the, uh, out the window, right? Like I, I would say that it's closer to, it's closer to what we think of as being, as being jazz, right? right? Uh, though, though with a much more limited harmonic palette than, than say like bebop, um, the uh you know with a with a rock and roll harmonic palette uh it it sort of it it creates constraints within there mm-hmm. with when within which there are certain like unstructured um things though though i huh. i gather from from doing the research there are there was a lot of rehearsing right and so i wonder if these solos weren't worked out improvisationally right like improvisation mm-hmm. is one way to generate material that you later fix uh, uh right rather than 
I don't know what, rather than sitting down, you know, sitting down at the blank sheet of paper and, and uh, away from the context of playing music, generating material that, that is yeah. fixed by virtue of being set down on paper, right? Like, um, so it's, it's the aspect of seeing it through that to me is most remarkable, not the aspect of, of, yeah. of the jam. Uh, yeah, I have, I have some reactions here. So I think, and this relates, you know, and, and I mean, another way to kind of um, approach it, uh, uh, parse this is to think about um, what is a jam and what is a band, right? And we did a little <laughs> bit of talking about what is a band last week yeah. in our Sex Pestles episode. Um, and I think that, right, so in terms of thinking through... Um, and so I actually looked up both words in the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, and interestingly, the, so the definition that refers to um, music simultaneously extemporized by a number of performers um, is related to the usage of jam that is, uh, that is the, uh, the action of jamming or the fact of condition of being jammed, uh, so being tightly packed or squeezed. But in the note in the OED, uh, they then, of the usage of um, a jazz jam, a musical jam, they say this uh, sense may, also, may belong to jam uh, too, which is the, uh, the jam, like a jam, like a, uh, a like jam as in a jelly. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, but I think that's at least... As they trace this, um, the earliest usages uh, are with re- reference to jam. I'm uh, sorry, with jam to jazz. <laughs> uh, it's all jam all the way down. Um, but no, so that that you see usages of uh, jams and jam sessions, um, at least in the tracing of the history of it, um, in the uh, the early uh, in the early twenties, um, or in the twenties with re- reference to, to uh, jazz and swing, um, and so. But then I think what, where it gets really interesting is in thinking about um, a band, and there are kind of two um, lines of definition of uh, of band um, that that uh, come up as relevant in the OED. Right. So one is the one that we were talking about um, last week. That is a um, it has its origins in an organized company or a troupe, um, you know, and a, a group of um, a, a group of of people. Um, bound by a common pers- purpose, right? So uh, the the first definition of band is uh, an organized company. Uh, second in this usage is a confederation of persons having a common purpose. And then later down is a company of musicians. Um, but I think what's interesting in the notes is that the other um, the other usage that's common of, of a band as a noun is that with which or by which a thing is bound. Right, that is a shackle, um, a, 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 a compi- confinement or imprisonment or, or custody, um, and and la- there are other usages of you know using it to refer to a court. And um, in the and in, in talking through the etymology, there's a there's a supposition um, that the, uh, that these uses have um, are, have have common roots, and that there is uh, and there are and, and the sense is that the etymology is is not totally nailed out about the relationships between the two words, but there's a connection between this organization of a company um, and, uh, and, and being constrained and being bound and the usage of being bound, uh, the thing that binds something together. And so I think bringing those together is that, you know, that television may not be a jam band, but they are, but, th- but there's a, ba- but there are, but their jams are bound jams, right? <laughs> right, and and I think that that is, and I, I kind of, and that that really f- fits to what you're saying that these are the tightest jams that you've seen, um, and so that 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 there is, 
that that there is a sense of a, a chicken egg relationship between improvisation and the and, and then the making of the constraints. I mean, in some ways, right? This actually um, this actually leads me to uh, I forget which song it's in. Uh, it's um, I actually think that. This is in See No Evil, right? He says, I want a nice little boat made out of ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that idea and that kind of contradiction that's built in there is is making – uh, uh, constraints out of jamming that that you are um, exercising uh, freedom uh, and and kind of um, extemporaneously um, creating musical figures and then those produce constraints within which you then continue to constrain right and so that that's how you would think of a bound a bound jam uh, if that if that makes sense does that uh, it does and it, I mean you know one one thing I noticed about a lot of the a lot of the guitar solos on this was that there was a lot of arpeggiating, right? Like there was a lot of like outlining one note at a time, the notes in the particular chord that they're right. That they're, uh, that's being, that's being played by the rhythm section while the soloist is, is soloing. So that, I mean, the, the harmony creates a certain kind of bound, uh, boundary, right? right? And, and, uh, within, and if you're sort of, you're kind of staying in that boundary, if you just kind of play up and down the, the notes in that chord, uh, The time creates uh, a certain kind of boundary, right? Like, apparently, one of the things that Richard Hell was doing was jumping around too much and like being a little too Johnny Rotten, right? Like being a little too punk uh, and wild, and and it was and Verlaine was like, uh, "Dude, stand stand still when we're when we're playing, right? Like, I want people to uh, I want people to hear the songs, and you're upstaging them, and uh, so that is, I mean, that is a kind of boundary right that is a kind of bound uh, a, a kind of binding um on on activity and on on music playing right like right and and so this is i mean right this is interesting you know uh right like i you know i don't mean to be all like well freedom is confinement but uh but but it is interesting we've talked a little bit about the the relationship between um, between authenticity and artifice, right? Like it's it's interesting the the relationship that sort of emerges in this connection between um, f- uh, uh, freedom and and boundary, right? right. And yeah. yeah, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, and, I, I, and sort of a scope um, that when when you are free, you're always free in a context. You're always free. Um, uh, you're always free in a in a particular scope, you know. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's um absolutely right. Um I'm trying to think I feel like there's definitely this actually maybe is a good then entry point to some of the other songs and trying to reengage with some of the lyrics. Um I think that um, I think that there, are th- these are themes that are not only emerging from kind of listening to the music, but in the interplay between the music and the lyrics. Um, I think there's a few different ones. I mean, I think one um, that jumps out at me and one that I've wanted to talk about is Venus, uh, is the second track. Um, and um, I, you know, I think that, um, and and I think that uh, you know, part of this, uh, you know, I mean. One of the really 
interesting figures in the song is is uh, the figure about kind of I fell and then there's a call and response of like did you feel low like no not at all huh and I think that there is um, and then and then he says I fell right into the arms of uh, Venus de, de Milo right which are not there right uh-huh. <laughs> um, and and so and, and I think that there's an interesting I think that there's a lot going on there. I mean, one is uh, one of the uh, secondary sources that we read. I forget which one says that even that, uh, that one imagines that even that kind of goofy and spontaneous uh, back and forth feels uh, rehearsed and very precise, right? Uh, the huh. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's like more rehearsed than like Tim the Toolman Taylor, uh, you know, Tim Allen's grunts. Um, and then this idea of falling in, uh, falling into the arms, um, of, of Venus de Milo feels like a, like, invisible constraint, an invisible thing that, um, that, that catches huh. you. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I, mean, I don't know, maybe there are other ways to, to read that and understand that. Right. We're, um, because like the, the stock, the stock, uh, read on this would be like, well, the Venus, you know, doesn't have any arms. Right. right. Uh, you know, haven't you ever been to the Louvre? Right. It, it's got no arms. And you're saying, what if it does? What if it does? Huh? But, what if, but what if Venus de Milo has arms? Huh? Think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, right. Like, like uh, and what, what, sorry, I'm just distracted. I have a picture of, I have a picture of this sculpture up on, on my screen and I'm, I'm staring at it. It's a very, uh, uh, God, that's an interesting Sculpture, right? Like, because she's posed in such a weird way. Is she taking a step, or like, why is her knee up in the air? What? What is? Uh, why? Why is she? She's playing soccer, I believe. <laughs> yeah, half half clothed in the in the Greek fashion, right? Like, right. I don't. I don't know. Um, well, and it's interesting, right? The reading in uh, on Rap Genius, um, and and there's often cases where we we don't really talk about their meanings, uh, uh, their interpretations a lot. And this one is like really cued into the interpretation that this is about drugs. Um, and it's like, well, the reason he's seeing arms that aren't there is because he's on LSD. Um, and I mean, I guess everyone has their hammer. Uh, and so I have my, um, you know, socially constructed reality, uh, 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 hammer and this person has their drug hammer, but you know, I, I would go toe to toe in a hammer fight with this guy. <laughs> um, I'd take that. Um, cause I think there's like, I think what's also really interesting. And I, and I think that the last verse, um, could be read in either ways, um, but I'm uh, I'm going to make the case for it in, in my reading, uh, which is uh, uh, a, a, the lyric says. Then Richie Richie said, "Hey man, let's dress up like cops. Think of what we could do." But something something said, "You better not." And I feel like that again for me echoes with this. Um, with this idea of invisible constraints um, and of, of kind of, uh, of, 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 of social boundaries, right. Of, you know, Hey, you know, 
Uh, so in the one point, there's just the idea of if you dress up like a cop, the authority and uh, and and the legitimate authority of the state, you you unlock the key, you know, and and uh, and you can do whatever you want. And then there's yet there's still some other constraint. And I mean, I think it's interesting to think about how to read "You Better Not." Is it "You Better Not"? Like, what is this something that's saying that? Is it um, is is it this kind of internalized? You know, set of social norms, uh, other kinds of kind of socially constructed constraints, or is it just self-preservation? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that that um, yeah. And, and, so the important arms are the arms within, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, that's I mean, that's that's the read. But I think what's also really interesting is that there's ambiguity, just as there as a, there's ambiguity in um, you know what I want, I want now, and it's a whole lot more than anyhow. Right. right? That, that you can start putting interpretations together, but that they really require um, there, there's a lot, you know, just as there's kind of space um, musically, there's a lot of space in terms of um, you know, kind of semantically and kind of in terms of what is going on at the level of, of meaning. Um, and, and, and I think that um, because at a certain point, right, there, there's a lot of somethings, right? <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, you know, and, and there's not, not a lot of naming the thing. Um, and I think that that is, is interesting and, again, kind of creates some of this, links back to this idea of seeing from a distance. Um, yeah. Or at, um, at arm's length, um, as, a, as, a, as we said before. Right, the whole thing, and I don't mean this to, like, activate the drug, the drug reading of this, of this song, but, right, like, the, the whole thing. Whose side are you on? <laughs> Go. No, like Pete said during the Fleetwood Mac episode, every poetic, every poetic interpretation needs a giant or in the middle of it. Right, right, right. Because it's got to be more than one thing or else it's not poetry. It's an essay, right? Um, the uh, I don't know how most we, – it's a lot easier when we had like songs called, I don't know, heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Go on though, sorry. Uh, I, uh, I interrupted. Uh, it was a tight toy night, streets so bright, uh, the world looked so thin. Um, and between my bones and skin, there stood another person who was a little surprised to be face to face with a world so alive, right? That is to say, there's a sense of like, of extraordinary. Um, uh, uh, sensory experience, right? Like right. sort of um, heightened and sort of altered uh, sensory experience, which isn't necessarily which isn't necessarily drug related, right? Like these sort of altered this sort of altered state of consciousness is connected to, I think, symbolism is connected to the high romantics. Uh, right, and and right, sort right. of Blake and throwing open the the doors of of perception, though that often I mean I guess there were plenty of of uh, romantics and their lot these you know these fucking poets and their laudanum right these right. days. Um, <laughs> the uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of that going going along, but I I sort of wanted to connected to for whatever reason right like this all this talk about about boundaries about constraints puts me in mind of like existential philosophy and mm. sartre and like mm. existential nausea right mm. uh for for sartre and the existentialists we are before we are anything right like mm. there is a there is a base level of existence and then essence is is kind of a subset yeah. of that and that when you encounter when you encounter being 
beyond the veil of essence, uh, you experience existential nausea, right? And there are there in in the novel nausea. There are a couple of um, there are a couple of episodes of this. Uh, one where he sees the the like the upholstery on the the uh, seat that he's sitting on and sort of encounters it just as matter, not as upholstery or a seat or things like this. And there's this sort of discussion of the like the little tufts of fabric uh, that or the little kind of tufts of uh, textile that make up the fabric. And he, he talks about them as like little dog paws, uh, upside down dog paws pointing upwards. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really uh, exciting scene. And then there's another one where he stabs his hand with a letter opener and watches the, dro- the blood watch, da- uh, you know, roll down his hand. And he's, he's kind of alienated from his, his experience. He sort of sees it as something that's not really a part of his body, uh, but just as, as kind of other matter that he's kind of unconnected to. And it's, uh, uh, it's uh, pretty horrifying that, you know, that scene, but there's, there's something here, right? Like, uh, there's something here about that, like the 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 um, the existence and the essence, right? The jam and the boundary, the yeah. uh, the uh, the sensory experience and the constraint of the arms that 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 you're held that you're held in, right? Or even like the the uh, even a city, right? Is right. a kind of exactly. right, yeah, is a kind of um, uh, is a uh, oh god when I was a teenager right like my least favorite thing was people were saying like oh it's just a construct man it's just a construct I always wanted to say like well you know a house is a construct but you wouldn't want to live without one you know you wouldn't want to like uh, but you know it's a way of uh, but a city right is imposed on the landscape you know it's an organization uh, of it's an organization of otherwise undifferentiated space into you know dis- discrete components that uh, um, that kind of make it more convenient to get on with the with the business of, of living so there is also I mean so that that I mean I'm, I'm drawing a big circle around a lot of things here and saying they all rhyme with one another another but there's something like uh there's something uh in the tension between being face to face with a world so alive uh in in the uh the other person who's a little surprised who is uh between my bones and my skin right like that kind of exists in the interstices of two kinds of structures of my body and the city on a tight toy night Right, a toy right. night, a kind of uh, simulacrum of a night uh, that is that is for examination and that is like not not quite the the real thing. That there is a kind of there is a, a sort of tension between existence and essence in these uh, in all of these aspects that, that we've been talking about. And I'm wondering. I, I mean, I think the other song that uh, makes me think of that and kind of um, I think provides some support for that that reading um, is the last track, right? Is "Torn Curtain," um, right? Because if you know, because the, the lyric, right? The, the starting lyric is "Torn Curtain reveals another play," right? "Torn Curtain," such an expose. Um, and and I feel like, and maybe maybe there's something else going on here, but I feel like the idea of a torn curtain of of the of a of of a kind of a a boundary 
um, uh, that, that obscures vision um, being um, being being uh, ruptured, uh, and and there and things that are supposed to be separate uh, and non visible. Um, there's there's a glimpse through there, um, the, and and these kind of moments where there are are, are ruptures. Um, it seems to um, again, like you say, rhyme with um, with with this kind of existentialist reading. Yeah. Yeah, um, which rupture, really right? Rupture is an interesting word, right? Or I mean, it's an interesting idea because it's like the rupture in the essence, the rupture in the sort of veil of yes. narr- narrativization, yep. exactly through, through which you kind of see the the pure aspects of existence or the kind of undifferentiated, yes, exactly. Exactly. you know, through the, the the rupture in the band through which you see the jam, right? <laughs> right, you right. Uh, the 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 and I when you. You sent me those. I was like, I was really fascinated reading through these these OED these OED examples, and like, it's sort of like band and bond, and also bend. By the way, right. is yeah. is an interesting is an interesting thing, and you can think of like very often, um, uh, very often in in English there are weak causative verbs that have to do with the uh, uh, the strong germanic verbs um mm-hmm. uh, so like sit like uh uh set um so like sit and sat uh it, it got it so hard because like you think of weak verbs having a, a dental suffix having like forming the past tense with either t or d um uh like uh you know um uh, uh uh, Jesus, and now of course I can't. I can't bring one to mind. But like uh, anything like ed, you know, verbs that form their past tense in ed. These are these are uh, you know known as weak verbs. But but there but there are some verbs that have that the stem has a dental suffix. So like uh, uh, sit and sat, right? Like right. is a is a strong verb that that. Um, uh, creates its past tense by altering the by altering the vowel, um, but set doesn't alter the vowel, and like set means to cause to sit, right? Hmm. Or um, uh, lie uh, lie lay lane, and uh, lie lie uh, lie laid uh, laid right is right. a is a weak verb that is a causative verb uh which means to cause cause to right. lie right um right. it's it's confusing because in in the pre- the present it's both lie but but never mind um so i was thinking of like of um bind bound as the right as the strong verb and then um hmm. and, and then like uh maybe bend bent uh, mm-hmm. Right as the as the weak causative verb, and in a way, like to bend is to mm-hmm. cause something to be bound, um, and a band, right, is the is the thing that you bind with. Uh, and and by the way, right before English orthography was standardized, like you know, uh, oh say you know four or five hundred years ago, all these things were spelled the same way. Right, right. right, right there was right. no there was no difference between how they all how they all go. Um, so really, you know, really, it's all. I mean, it's all kind of in the same. It's all kind of in the same word word soup. But really, but these days we're now bound for a bent band. <laughs> <laughs> or 
do one, perhaps. If I, yeah, if I could do, I mean, if I could do a swipe edit, I would do it right now for the whole. If I could just run across the stage and say, "Thank you, we are these fucking teenagers." Uh, all right, well. Um, Gosh, we're on a we're on a slightly more uh, we're on a slightly more regular schedule now. We've changed our recording we've changed our recording time, which should be transparent if you're just downloading this podcast. But um, we have a we have a schedule going going on. So do you want to do you want to uh, preview next week a little bit, Ryan? Um, well, I, I think I will actually, um, I, I will mend the tear in the curtain. I, I'm not yet ready to tear the curtain. Uh, I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, I would love for just there to be a little more elusiveness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so, no, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so the next, the next week's podcast will be on, Huh? Uh, and if you want to talk about, huh, <laughs> you can talk about it with us in the comments on the show notes for this episode or in, um, in, uh, uh, on our Twitter, uh, handle at, at TFT podcast. We are at TFT podcast and we, we do all kinds of, um, all kinds of stuff related to the research agenda of TFT, not just not just music that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of music that, that goes along also, um, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see there was in the in the comments uh, on the last episode, um, there have been some people who are really glad that we're doing the punk, uh, the punk episode. So, like, tell us uh, we're really curious to hear what you think of television, especially after uh, a trajectory that has brought us through. I mean, brought us from Neil Young, right, like uh, through the Velvet Underground uh, up to uh, the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. I'm sorry, the Ramones and Sex Pistols. Uh, right? No, the in Sex Pistols, if I'm not mistaken. No, they are not the authentic Sex Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> they are just well, yeah. Pistols are are mass produced, right? You know, right? So, exactly. I mean, there are a lot of as as is sex. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, whether so whether whether your jam is is uh, constrained or uh, existential, um, you know. Keep it, uh, keep it tuned to TFT and, uh, and keep it real. <laughs>